Good morning, folks. Officially, I want you to know, no matter your story, you are welcome, you are wanted, and you are loved. And we mean that. We mean that. I'm so excited to get to speak to you today. Did you ever build a fort as a kid? Like a fort? My, my brother and I were always building forts, whether it was out of couch cushions and blankets and chairs in Grandma's living room. That's how we spent Hurricane Hugo. And anybody else who was alive during that time probably were doing other things, but we spent it under blanket forts. Uh, when we would uh, dig tunnels in the snow, in snow drifts, that's how we spent the blizzard of 93, in a snow drift, on purpose, digging. We'd go out in the woods and we'd build shelters out of sticks and leaves and tree bark and whatever we could find. Um, we got a little older and we discovered an excellent source of wood, a barn that nobody could see without going to look for it. And uh, we pulled some boards from inside and outside of that barn and made a treehouse in a big pine tree down uh, below where I live now. So um, we, we had a lot of fun, but we are not, my brother and I were not the best fort builders in the family. We were unworthy to unlace the steel-toed boot of the finest fort builder in the family. See, most kids grow up wanting to make a little uh, shelter or a fort or something like that, but some kids never grow out of it. And one certain retirement age kid who never grew out of it is my dad. Um, so he organized over the last couple weekends the building of a, we'll call it a yurt. It's kind of a mud hut. Now the, the picture, Janiah, the yurt mud hut thing. That was a lot of fun. Because, you know, he's got a house, but uh, dad keeps going back. He built a house, then he built a cabin, then he built like a wigwam, then he built a yurt. He's going in reverse. What's next, dad? A hole, just a regular hole in the ground? Dad is slowly becoming a hobbit. He's the world's tallest hobbit. You know, he, he built the, the cabin pretty much with an, with an axe and a chainsaw, and they built a water wheel to generate electricity for us. I know lots of families have hobbies. Apparently, the Shockley family hobby is seeing if we are ready for societal collapse by, <laughs> by uh, you know, coming up with some stuff and, you know, planting and growing things. And, uh, you know, I'm, I don't know if you've ever thought through who you would want on your theoretical zombie apocalypse survival team. But I would suggest that the Shockleys have some things to offer. So so we'll be forming our team should the time come. And you, we'll come and we'll, we'll interview you and see if you can, can be a part of it. Look, I've never done the cool stuff that my dad has done. I've kind of joined in on that. I used to go out in the woods and do like wilderness survival things and eat these wild edible plants and track animals and and, you know, make shelters and stay the night in the woods and film it because I really thought I was like Survivor Man or Bear Grylls or um, now they have like the Naked and Afraid. No, that's a big thumbs down from me. No, no, the Afraid, Afraid, I'll deal with that. The other part, not so much. But, you know, I had a lot of fun doing that. Uh, used to think I would be pretty good in a survival situation. But now I've gotten a little too used to hot coffee and air conditioning and my enthusiasm for eating bugs and sleeping on the ground has gone down a little bit. I've gone soft. I've gotten soft. I'm sorry. How would you do? 
How would you do if it was a survival situation? Do you think you'd do okay? You think you'd make it? I see, I see a lot of people like, yeah, I can make it. And then some of you are like, no, nope, nope. I like my recliner too much. And uh, I would have to make a recliner. So there's a rule of threes in survival. Have you heard of the rule of threes? Where's my survivalist set? You know the rule of threes? Okay. The rule of threes for survival. You can go three hours without shelter in extreme conditions, like extreme heat or extreme cold. Three hours without shelter. You can go three days without water. Maybe less than that if it's really hot. You can go three weeks without food. I don't know if I could go three hours without food, but allegedly we can go three weeks without food. That's the rule of threes. But there is one more rule that I could add to the rule of threes. It is something that you cannot go without for three minutes before you're in trouble. If you have the shelter and the water and the food, but you don't have this other thing, you're in trouble for sure. If you don't have air, you're done. Air is a higher priority than shelter, water, or food. Air, priority number one. Priority shapes destiny. In our faith, we have a number one priority. It's as precious as the air we breathe. It is what we call the gospel. Or as we termed it last week in a kind of a short, memorable way, people plus Jesus. That's priority number one. People plus Jesus. That's what we do. We, we share the story of how Jesus came and gave himself to set people free. And that's what we do. We help people connect with Jesus. We, we try to be that little plus sign between people plus Jesus. We're the, we're the plus sign. People plus Jesus. If this was Taco Bell, people plus Jesus is our tacos. We established that last week. It is the core of who we are. People plus Jesus. We want to help those who are close to Jesus get closer. Those who are far from Jesus to come near. Those who are running away from Jesus to at least slow down to like a walk or a jog. It's all a momentum shift in the direction of Jesus. Why is that such a big deal? Why do we want to connect people with Jesus so much? It's because we know there is hope and life and peace in Jesus. That was your amen part. I'm going to try it again. I did not warn you. That's, that's on me. There is hope and life and peace in Jesus. There is resurrection and restoration and reconciliation in Jesus. There is freedom and forgiveness and a future in Jesus. Jesus plus people. People plus Jesus. That's what we do. We endeavor to be the plus sign right there. Jesus plus people. That's our number one priority. But even well-meaning church folks can lose sight of that. Most churches would say, yeah, that's what we want. People to get saved. People to meet Jesus. People to get closer to Jesus. But it's so easy to get distracted by comforts. To get distracted by creature comforts in a meeting space. I've seen that become such a huge distraction of, you know, we, we don't like something about the temperature. Or we don't like something about the seating. You know, all that. It can be a distraction. doesn't matter. What matters is people plus Jesus. We can, um, our culture can lead us uh, to forget that our true mission doesn't lie in influencing people's political positions, but in reaching their hearts. Um, we can get so used to doing things in a certain way by our traditions that anything else looks very suspicious, even if the Bible is okay with it. 
And we can forget that lost people don't act like saved people. That we need to walk, we, need, we forget that we need to walk toward the messes and not away. We forget that we can't just be about who's already here. We have to think about everyone who's not here, but should be, but could be. That's what we do. That's what it means, in part, to concentrate on people plus Jesus. And that leads us to what we identified last week as the second priority, is serving people. Serving people. Even the 12 disciples got caught up in some confusion on this. They had the idea that the important thing was to be served. That if you were going to be great in the kingdom of God, you would be served. And Jesus said, wait a minute. He who is great in my kingdom will make himself a servant to all. So how are you serving people? I left you with that question last week. How are you serving people? How are you serving people in your own home? Now, that's a good question for me and a lot of husbands and a lot of kids out there. It seems like the ladies of the house, it's a little more natural and fitting, you know, a little more natural thing to be a, have a servant's heart in a home. But are we servants in our own homes? Not just taking out the trash a little less grumpily. I'm trying to do that. I'm trying to be less grouchy about taking out the trash. Is it working? She didn't answer. Don't answer. Let's save that. I'm trying to be a little less grumpy about taking out the trash. I'll, updates will be forthcoming if it ha- happens. But I'm talking about really serving, serving, not serving to get someone off your back or serving to get a pat on the head but really truly serving serving people how are you serving people in your workplace and i don't mean if you're in a service industry i don't mean like bringing them their their stuff or their food or whatever i mean really serving people with a heart how are you serving people in your school school starts back this week we need to be praying for kids and teachers and and uh all of that, um, parents will probably applaud a little bit, but the, we need to pray really extra hard for the teachers and the kids. How are you serving people in your school? How are you serving people in your extended family? Now that gets a little tougher because you've got some people in your family who are, how do I say this nicely? I, I guess I won't. Um, they're crazy. <laughs> you got any of those people in your family? There's some people in your family who are difficult to love, difficult to serve. How about that? How, you, how, how are you serving those people too? How are you serving in the community and in the marketplace and where you go to the gas station and the post office and the grocery store? How are you serving people? See, serving is your credibility for priority one. What's priority one? People plus Jesus. Let me tell you, if you don't treat people with kindness and with a servant's heart, you do not have much credibility for sharing Jesus with them. You know people who want to preach to people that they need to get right with God, but the person does not know how to treat people. You know people like that. Don't be a people like that. There's enough. We already have enough people who want to be preachy with others without loving and serving others. Your love and your service to others will be your credibility for sharing Jesus with them. You can't God didn't just call us to serve only. He called us to serve in part as a credibility for sharing Jesus. So we know two priorities so far. People plus Jesus. Serving people doesn't stop there. We're in Mark chapter 9. We got down through, uh, we'll be starting at verse 36 today. Remember, Jesus is 
visiting his base of ministry in Capernaum for the last time. The disciples really don't have a proper understanding that the clock is ticking. It's winding down to the crucifixion. Jesus has mentioned this to them several times that he's going to be killed soon, crucified soon, resurrected soon. They were blind to it. They either could not understand it because the Holy Spirit had not revealed it to them or they just didn't want to believe it just yet. So he's in a house. Jesus and the twelve are in a house, probably in one of the disciples' houses because maybe four plus, four at least of them lived in Capernaum. And uh, when he leaves there, he's going to make his way down to Jerusalem where he's going to be betrayed and crucified. So even though time is short, Jesus has explained to them what's about to happen. The disciples' priorities are still off. So he spends some time trying to get them straight. We've already talked about the first two. So let's get into some more. But uh, first, some scripture. Let's go to verse 36. Then he took a little child and set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one of these little children in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Let's stop there and pray. Heavenly Father, please now speak to us. We need to hear from you. We need to understand your priorities. I pray you'll give us a heart for them. In Jesus' name, amen. So there's lots and lots of application here, and we could spend weeks on this little bit alone, but uh, just to give you a, a very brief follow, a brief overview of it, we, we see here that children are precious in the eyes of God. Precious. Do you believe that? Do you believe children are precious? Absolutely. They are. But do you understand that has not been the norm for most of human history? Children were not treated as precious for most of human history. That the value of treating peop- of children, uh, not just your own children, but other people's children and children in general as precious, that is a value that came from Jesus' people. It wasn't there to start with, by and large. Even among the Hebrew people, Jesus' own people, uh, they value children, but not like Jesus does. This, this idea of, ch- of children being valuable and worthy of protection, all children, not just my children, not just your children, that comes from a New Testament worldview. You see, for most of human history, children have been treated as expendable and exploitable. I realize there are people who claim the name of Christ who mistreat or undervalue children. Understand that was not representing Christ. If you've had somebody who claimed to be a Christian and they were not good to you as a child, they were mean or abusive to you, Understand that is not what Jesus is about. That is the evil that is in people. And even people who really are saved people can do some mean things. I'm sorry that it's that way. But until the Lord completely straightens us out, that is our world. In the Hebrew culture in which Jesus and the disciples lived, children were treasured and they were protected. In high contrast to the people groups around them. If you read in the Old Testament you find out that child sacrifice was practiced by the people groups around them. It was horrific. And even some of the wicked people among Israel would practice child sacrifice. It was terrible, and they paid deeply for it. Thankfully, by the time uh, of the New Testament era, a lot of that had gone away. Um, while, the, 
the cultures around them would abandon children who have medical issues. The Hebrews would not do that. They were valued, although not exactly prioritized. Children were loved, valued, and prioritized, but we see several times in the Gospels where there were kids around Jesus and people are saying, I get these kids out of here. The teacher is very busy because in that culture for an important rabbi like Jesus to take time to interact with kids, it just wasn't done. It's not like they didn't care about kids. It's just kids were not prioritized like that. They were a little more to be seen and not heard. And yet Jesus again and again makes time positive time for kids and more than once kind of says hey look at this kid and shows the child as an example he he one time set a child in front of him and said hey your faith should be, be like this child's faith simple pure honest the faith of a child we should prioritize kids we must protect and love and serve and teach kids understand that as our world moves farther and farther from god we will see children treated more and more as expendable and exploitable and it's happening right now all over the world there are children who are in forced service there are children who are being sex trafficked that's such an uncomfortable thought but it is pervasive and it's pretty clear that in our culture, in our country, it goes to high places. Otherwise, some of these people who have been arrested for sex trafficking children, we'd find out who they were trafficking them to. There's some very important people who are implicated in all of this. It's going to get worse and worse and worse. And I'm afraid if things keep going the way they are, we'll see it come into the open. And it'll be even more horrific then. We've got to be people who stand up for kids the world will not protect children. The world will not love children. They will show them a counterfeit of love, but it is exploitation. We must prioritize kids and impact kids. And that's one of the reasons I'm praying so hard for the Lord to provide for us the right space because we want to expand our ministry for kids. I'm so thankful for the space we have. We have a really fun kids ministry room here. Lots of cool stuff. Katie worked really hard to get that started. Some more of y'all worked really hard to get that started and have good, fun, safe environment for our kids. But we need more. <laughs> we need more room for these precious, amazing kids because we've got to teach them about Jesus. Because the world won't. The world will treat them as expendable and exploitable. And we must not let that happen. We may wonder how a, a culture could, uh, as the Hebrew culture at that time, could value children without prioritizing them. They did value them. They just didn't have time for them. Well, Here's something, here's a wrinkle, here's a possibility. A child could not provide anything of value in exchange. So, so more emphasis was placed on adults. In that culture, if you did something for an adult, the adult could probably pay you back. They could help you back. Uh, if you did something for a child, they probably can't return the favor. And With the child mortality rate being so high at that time, the kid may not be able to grow up and return that favor. So there is a, there's an idea here to love and provide and serve a child, especially a child who's not your own. There was not a lot of earthly reward in that. 
in our culture, there's still not a lot of earthly reward in it, except for the satisfaction. Kids can't always pay you back. Um, but let me tell you, every time I've been around kids and been a part of serving kids, man, it's worth it. We've got a few teachers here with us today. It's such a wonderful, wonderful, rewarding thing to be around kids. But in a practical, material way, they may not be able to return the favor. There's a principle here that goes beyond children. It's, it's a little deeper than that, too. Jesus says when we do for those who cannot do for us in return, it demonstrates we belong to him. So here's an idea. Here's another priority we could put up. Priority number three, love without expectation. Love without expectation of anything in return. Okay. It is human nature to want something in return. Even if we do something for someone and we don't want to be paid back, we at least want them to be grateful. Nice to have a thank you. And we raise our kids to say thank you because it's, it's an expectation. And that's nice. Well, even if you don't want to thank you, you at least don't want hostility. Have you ever gone out of your way to do something kind for someone and not only were they ungrateful, but they jumped on you about it. You got cussed for it. Have you ever done something kind for someone and got cussed for it? Does it make you ever want to help that person again? Makes you not want to help them again. And yet Jesus says this, Matthew chapter, 40, chapter 5, verse 43 and 44. You have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Now, if following Jesus was a man-made religion, I sure wouldn't put that in there because that is too hard to do. To love your enemies, to do good for those who would hurt you. That's what it means to love like Jesus. To love without expectation. And it sounds like really noble, doesn't it? I mean, it's hey, we're Sunday morning here and we're among the Lord's people. So yes, I would, I would love my enemies. I would give them a cup of cold water in the name of the Lord. I would bless them and not curse them. But then you walk out these doors and people out there are mean. They're mean out there. Some of them have the same last name as you. And they're mean. It's hard to love those people. It's hard to apply. It's easy to talk about here. But it's hard to apply out there. The problem with unconditional love is that in order to show unconditional love, the person is going to have to be unlovable. They will not deserve it. If they deserved it, that's a condition. It's only when the person does not deserve to be shown love that her love can be truly unconditional. That's an uncomfortable thought, but it does give us a special kind of hope. If someone in your life is being unfair or harsh or cold or hurtful or an enemy to you, in other words, they're being unlovable, that's your opportunity to love like Jesus loves. Do not say you love people unconditionally. 
until you are forced, you're faced with the task of loving someone who's being incredibly unlovable. Will we love like Jesus loves? Here's another little, another little uh, iteration of that. Can we show compassion on people who have made choices, made their own choices, and messed up their own life? What if you warned the person, don't do this thing, and they did the thing and wrecked their lives? What then? I have a saying that I, one of my many, many dadisms I share with my kids, um, the fa- most famous of which is, your friends determine the direction and quality of your life. Use that on your kids, that's a good one. The other one, the second most famous one, see if you can complete this for me, either my children or those who've heard me speak. If you do dumb things, dumb things will happen to you. If you do dumb things, dumb things will happen to you. Is it a perfect ratio? Will every dumb thing you do be met with the dumb thing happening to you? No, you'll get away with it sometimes. Sometimes dumb things will happen to you when you've done smart things. But in general, if you do dumb things, dumb things will happen to you. Sometimes even Jesus people do dumb things. Will we love Jesus people who do dumb things and really make a mess of their lives? Hmm. If we're going to love without expectation, then yes. We can't do what I've seen done too many times. When a fellow believer is stumbling and wounded and falling, they're abandoned, like they got the plague. Have you seen that done? I've seen that done. Where here's this, here's this believer who really, really, really has messed up, who desperately needs a church family to support them and help them, and yet they become the untouchable because we don't want to catch whatever they got. It's been said that the church is the only army that shoots its wounded. Ugh. Ooh, that's tough. That's not what we're about, folks. We want to be the church that's, first of all, going to help you try not to really make a mess in the first place, to try to help you not to make decisions that cost you dearly. But if you do really, really blow it, my prayer is that we would be the church that's still there for you and help you clean up the pieces and put it back together. That's what we're about. What did Jesus do? when somebody on his team really blew it. I mean bad. We have an example. Simon Peter denied even knowing Jesus. And did Jesus kick him out of the Jesus club? Did he say, Simon Peter, you denied me. We can't do this. We can't have this. I can't have you infecting the other disciples with your doubt. No, he restored Peter and put him in charge of the whole movement. That's what Jesus did. (laughs) Jesus set the priority for us to love without expectation, to do our best for people who cannot or will not do anything for us in return, to love people who disappoint us, to be kind to people who betray us, to bless people who have hurt us, even the ones who hurt us on purpose. I'm not talking about enabling unhealthy behavior. I'm I'm not talking about staying in a relationship with an abusive person. And I'm not saying we should pretend there's not a problem or that sin isn't there or sin doesn't have consequences. I'm saying refusing to stop treating people right, even when they're not doing right or treating you right. That's tough, but that's the life that Jesus has called us to. 
This whole following Jesus thing, it's not for wimps. You got to be pretty tough to do right by people who would not do right by you. One more. Verse 38. Now Jesus answered him saying, Teacher, we saw someone who does not follow us casting out demons in your name. And we forbade him because he does not follow us. But Jesus said, Do not forbid him. For no one who works a miracle in my name can soon afterward speak evil of me. For he who is not against us is on our side. Well, that's interesting. A lot of us grew up in a church environment where, where there was a lot of focus on why our flavor of Christianity was better than everybody else's flavor of Christianity. And uh, why some churches, even of the same denomination, just aren't up to scratch like us. And yet Jesus says here that even these folks who um, are not in the same club can be on the same team. Jesus points us towards unity with people who are faithful to the name of Jesus. He said, if, if he's preaching my name faithfully, then he's on the same team. Priority four is unity with the brethren. We can cooperate with people who agree with us on Jesus, even if there's some other things that we're not on the same page about. I, I kind of know in a, in, a, in a church environment I'm familiar with and somewhere I got my education, me wearing my jeans and my work boots would be a major no-no because in the, the Bible college that I went to, the pastor's suit was seen as, as his uh, uh, cloak, his mantle. And I'm like, ah, I don't know that we could justify that, but that's okay. You know what? Those people love Jesus. I can cooperate with those people. We don't got to agree on how the preacher's supposed to dress. We can cooperate with them because they believe in Jesus. See, I want to be very, very clear. Denomination does not get you in. Denomination will not make you right with God. Having your name on a church roll will not make you right with God. Your entrance to the family of God is not dependent on the way you dress, the style of worship, the method of baptism, the approach to communion, or what translation of the Bible you think is the best. Only the gospel gets you in. That's it. That's all. The gospel. The gospel is that Jesus Christ is the sinless Son of God who gave himself as a sacrifice for our sins, and three days later, he rose from the grave. And we are saved by letting go of our trust in ourselves. Our trust in our accomplishments or our goodness or our religion or our morality. Our trust in all our efforts and instead trusting in Jesus. By grace are you saved through faith and that does not come from yourself. It is a gift of God so no one can boast. And if we can agree on that, we can be on the same team. Because nobody who preaches the name of Jesus faithfully, is going to soon turn away from him. That's what he said here. You know, if he's out there working in my name, we could be on the same team. And that brings us right back. If we're determined who's on the team by, trust, uh, by the gospel, then we get back to priority one. What was priority one? People plus Jesus. We're back there again. That's where it all goes. All this stuff comes back to people plus Jesus. We serve people because it's our credibility for people plus Jesus. We love people because that's the way Jesus said to treat people, and it gives us the opportunity to be the plus mark and the people plus Jesus. We, we uh, um, 
cooperate with other believers because we can agree on people plus Jesus. What would it be like if every Jesus follower and every church truly embraced the priorities taught by Jesus in this chapter? Imagine a world like that. Imagine a world where where we see beyond the parts of people's lives that we can't agree with and the values we can't support and recognize that every single human being you meet, even the ones that you don't like, even the ones that are very different from you, even the ones living a lifestyle that really doesn't sit well with you, every single one of them needs the hope and the life and the peace and the freedom that can only be found in Jesus. And you know what it is. Imagine a community where every interaction and every relationship is guided by the deep desire to help people connect with Jesus, where people plus Jesus is the main priority. Imagine a world where hundreds and thousands of people in this community finally find the cure for the aching hunger inside of them they've been trying to fill with all this other junk that's destroying them. Imagine that. And it happens because people like you are dishing up the gospel that fills that hunger in a healthy way. Imagine a world where serving people becomes the norm, where we care about more than ourselves or our few and and we treat strangers like friends, friends like family, and family like nothing else. We're simple acts of everyday kindness set off chain reactions of generosity and service where, where Jesus' followers have such a reputation for serving people that our message of salvation can't be ignored. See, that's happening a lot, folks. We got a good message, but people point to the, the Jesus folks who aren't doing right and say, ah, oh, well, they're, they're like that. I don't want to hear about what they're having to say. We need to reverse that. Imagine in a world where people care about each other not because of what they can get out of it, but because love is right. Where we stand up for people who can't stand up for us or won't stand up for us. Where we don't give up on people when they blow it. When we continue to do right by people even when they won't do right by us. Where we love without expectation. Imagine a world where Jesus' followers focus less on the differences that divide us and rally around the good news of Jesus. Boy, that sounds good, doesn't it? Sounds nice. I like that. We want that to happen, right? Okay, now imagine this. You, you, hey, I'm waving at you, you, you are the match that starts that fire. You are the catalyst. You are the beacon. You are the change maker. We want the world to be different. We talk all the time about how we wish the world was different. But what are we doing to make it different? I don't know if you can change the world, but you can change your world, your house, your family, your workplace, your school, your community. You can make a difference there. You can change your world. So I have four challenges for you. I want to leave you with four challenges, one for each of the priorities. <coughs> Priority one is what? People plus Jesus. So my first challenge is be open about your faith in Jesus. In a humble way. I, look, I've been around a lot of Jesus people, and some of them, I love them. And maybe this is the right approach sometimes. But getting right into it and saying, hey, hey, hello person I've just met. If you died tonight, would you go to heaven or hell? 
You know what? May the Lord, the Lord, Lord may bless that sometimes. But most of the time, that's going to really make people curious, uh, concerned about being a different place than where you are. But be open about your faith. You shouldn't have to force it. You shouldn't have to be weird about it. It should come out in your conversations, in your values, in the way you interact with people. Your faith should be there. I realize in a professional environment, you can't do all the things you might like to do, but your faith can still be there. It can still be there all the time. Second challenge, look for ways to serve in your family, in your home, in your community, in your work, in your school, in your church. Kelly told us about a way to serve here in our kids' ministry. They're such a blessing. Those kids are such a blessing, and we need the help. That service gives you credibility to talk to people about Jesus. Number three, do right by people, even when they don't deserve it. It's easy to do right by people when they deserve it, but not when they don't deserve it. Even when they don't deserve it, even when they can't return the favor, do right by people because priority three is love without expectation. Priority four was, was um, unity with the brethren. Number four, my challenge is put the message of faith of Jesus above the things that divide believers. If you do those things, your world will be different. And if enough of us do those things, the world will be different. So will you do it? Will you stop complaining about the things in the world you wish were different and actually do something about it? This is a good place to start. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray you will teach us more every day to be people whose priorities are in the right place. God, above all things, I pray we will be a church a community of believers, a family of believers who endeavor to be that plus mark in the people plus Jesus priority. God, make us that plus mark. Give us that opportunity to help connect people with you. Lord, I pray that will be backed up by our service and our love and our unity. Lord, I pray for every person who's hearing this message, either in person here or later in a recorded form. Almighty God, Will you give them the opportunity to change their little bit of the world? We give it all to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 I'm so glad you were with us today. Lord willing, we'll be back here next week. So what I want you to do is get one friend under this arm. Get one friend under this arm. Be sure to wear your deodorant before you do this. And bring them both with you next week. And we'll set out some extra chairs for them. We'll make it work. God bless you all. Hope you have a fantastic week. We'll catch you next time.